0: All lives matter, Black lives matter, and decentering the white experience in these conversations. Yeah, I know those are a couple of small just, you know, tiny topics. <laughs> I'm like, "Boom, okay. But that's what we're discussing in today's episode because white people, you keep asking us what you can do differently to be more anti-racist." So, we're spending the summer going through things in a bite-sized way so that we know the basics around the most commonly asked questions and issues around racism that we see in this country. And again, We'd like to emphasize that this is not a checklist. This is simply a primer. And if you want more, go buy our book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, which is full of people's stories, real history, and action steps for you to take.
1: Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. We've been best friends for 25 years, ever since we met as undergrads at Harvard, and now Misasha is a lawyer. She's married to a Black man and has very mixed-race boys the world sees as Black. I'm Sarah. I'm a life coach, and I'm married to a white Canadian man, and I have two white-presenting girls, and together, we help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process.
0: All right, so let's dive in. And I think it's really important to start with this question. What does Black Lives Matter really mean? And I think the quote that I have seen that is most impactful around this is from Alicia Garza. And we put it in our book because it was that impactful. And she said this, "'Black lives matter doesn't mean your life isn't important. It means that black lives, which are seen as without value within white supremacy, are important to your liberation.'" Given the disproportionate impact state violence has on Black lives, we understand that when Black people in this country get free, the benefits will be wide-reaching and transformative for society as a whole. When we are able to end the hyper-criminalization and sexualization of Black people and end the poverty, control, and surveillance of Black people, every single person in this world has a better shot at getting and staying free. When Black people get free, everybody gets free. And after you sit with that quote for a second i want you to also think about when black lives matter as a movement was really born because it was born out of the black community reeling from trayvon martin's murder and then his murderer george zimmerman's acquittal but it also really gained social media traction when michael brown who was an 18 year old was murdered by the police in ferguson missouri in the summer of 2014. so yes if you're counting that was eight years ago. All right. So, if that's what Black Lives Matter really means, what is Black Lives Matter not? Because I think sometimes it's important to talk about what it's not. So, what it's not, number one, is not a terrorist organization. Despite what you might have heard, and despite the amount of time and resources the FBI has spent into investigating this, because after all, in 2017, the FBI invented a new domestic terrorism program category called the Black Identity Extremist Movement. And use the existence of the program to justify surveilling people based solely on race. Just as a, like a big asterisk here, we could have used more of that FBI surveillance on white supremacist terrorists rather than on intelligence collection operations called things like Iron Fist, which prioritized profiling BLM members instead of white supremacists and far-right militants during this time period. Which I might note included mass shootings at not only a Pittsburgh synagogue, but also an El Paso shopping mall. And this was all in 2019. Right. Or even more
1: recently, Buffalo, there is a lot there. So good points on saying this is what it's not. But all that said, I know whirling around people's minds are, but I hear things like all lives matter. What do I say to someone who says all lives matter? And to this, you know, I think our response usually is that analogies help. Right. If you saw the memes that also went on about this, maybe you know what I'm talking about. But imagine you're in a neighborhood and there is a house on fire and you want the fire department to come and respond to that house because the house is just burning down. And you see the fire department ready to put its attention to solving this problem and putting the fire out. And someone says, no, but all houses matter. Does that even make sense? Like, no, we focus on the dumpster fire that is currently happening. And work to basically solve those problems first. You know, I think the other example that we've seen is Susan G. Komen's breast cancer fundraiser. And imagine you're in a room like full of the pink ribbons and someone comes to the podium in their speech and says, but all cancers matter. Like, what? No, we're focusing on a problem. So does this help make it a little more clear why people saying all lives matter does not make sense in response to Black Lives Matter? So what about the other part that we also hear often, right? The Blue Lives Matter, because I've definitely driven around and seen enough houses with that Blue Lives Matter flag with a blue stripe on there. And I know enough people are confused about this that I really want to make that point that there's a distinction. Okay, first of all, police aren't actually blue. I don't mean it to sound glib, like I'm making light of it. But when police officers take off their uniforms, they are who they are under the uniforms, When we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're talking about people who are Black 24-7, 365 days a year. So that's one very clear way that we're not talking about parallel things. You know, we don't say also only Black Lives Matter, right? We do believe police officers also have lives that are important, but we can hold multiple truths at once. And we also know that police kill Black people at a much higher rate than they're killing everyone else, full stop. We need to focus our attention on the group that is struggling to survive. All right. So here's this last part, because we were asked this in an event. How would you suggest encouraging white people to stop centering themselves in these discussions? Ooh, and if you've got a shot of defensiveness there, like, okay, just breathe, like breathe right now. Because, you know, it makes sense when you hear these things and you're not used to looking at it systematically, or you're looking at it from like a bigger, pro- like you're really personalizing this. I can see where you get defensive. I'm not trying to center myself, but that's often what we're hearing when we hear all lives matter, blue lives matter. We're centering other perspectives in this conversation when we should be centering black lives. And when we're talking about equality, We have to remember that fundamentally, we do not start out at an equal place in this country. You know, Misasha, you and I have spent so much time digging into the history about why we are where we are as a country. If you followed us for a while, you know that the start line is very different for people who look different in this country and who have experienced discrimination over and over. And so I think what we want you to understand is that saying Black Lives Matter does not take anything away from white people. But what we're saying is white people start out valued differently by society very, very dramatically, right? That starting line is different. And we're saying that it is way past time that we have a serious reckoning and we really need all white people to understand this because they are the leaders to this solution. Every single one of you are part of this conversation. You have to participate and understand this in order to make
0: change. I think that's so powerful, too, because it comes back to what we've been saying, right, that multiple things can be true at once. And so we cannot only have one truth. I mean, that's fairly impossible anyway. So I love that you said that. And so one last question that we've been asked, and Sarah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, too, is with the BLM movement and the heightened awareness of racism in our country, do you see our country beginning to take steps in the right direction? Are these sparks of hope for a better, more equitable future for all individuals? And what are your thoughts around continuing and growing this awareness? I was asked a similar question
1: at the book signing at Tattered Cover in Denver. Oh,
0: I was hoping. Yeah, okay.
1: And I admitted that sometimes it feels hopeless, right? Or it feels really depressing because I think this model of like, two steps forward, one step back would be optimistic. I think as they say in that movie with the film that we watched, Who We Are, sometimes it's actually two steps forward and three steps back right now, right? And so it feels difficult and challenging, but what gives me hope is watching these children come up understanding in society right now at least certainly in Colorado and California I don't know what it's going to be like for the kids growing up in states like Florida and Texas where where book bans and thinking are being sw- squashed like you're not being taught history but for the children in my lives I feel really really hopeful about our future because I see them being able to understand that we all show up with our own stories we have to understand the true history and that history has been changed depending on who's telling it like the critical thinking in some of these kids Absolutely sparks hope. And I'm seeing the kids doing things differently than the adults. I've seen a lot of adults sort of stuck in this listen and learn, but having a hard time translating that into action. But I see children very easily doing things differently. And that really gives me hope. And I really hope as parents, we have the humility to learn from these children of ours because we want to keep up with them and help them create the world that will be better for all of them. What about you?
0: Yeah, I would say I have days that are darker than others, right? Especially when I think we keep coming back to a place where we are shown that, for example, Black lives don't matter. And then we continue to cycle through sort of this, you know, I'm making this giant circular motion with my hand as we're recording, but like the cycle of, you know, sort of awareness. And then people, as we just talked about on that past episode, you know, putting something on social media, and then it Falling away, and we have another wave and another wave and another wave. And despite that, I too believe in children. And I would encourage those of you who are listening who have not had these conversations with your children to have them because your children understand and see things differently than you do. And I understand that for many of us, we grew up in an era where we weren't talking about race, but your kids are. And it's so very important that you talk to them about this. Because, you know, we're recording this on the second anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And in my house, we talked about that partially because it could be my kids on the ground. They're not going to be the cop who's kneeling on George Floyd's neck or whoever comes after. But if your kid might be that person, it is doubly important for you to have these talks. If you're not sure where to start, reach out to us because we have ideas. But it is not enough to say it's going to be too traumatic. I don't know where to start. We have those resources. So I'm saying I believe in the kids too, but we need your help in this.
1: You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media and yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.